Hello, football has been back a while and now finally so are we. Welcome to Talking Football with Harry and Dylan, a new podcast bringing all the playground football talk to a new weekly podcast. I'm Harry Winters, a Manchester City supporter. And I'm Dylan Snyder, a Manchester United supporter. Coming up on this week's episode, we will be discussing Monday's cash judgment as they ruled in favour of Manchester City overturning a two-year Champions League ban and reducing the initial fine. We'll be looking at the initial details and the impact the result will likely have on City, FFP and UEFA as an organisation. And as the Premier League season enters its final stages, we'll be having a detailed look at both the race to the top four and the fight for survival after big wins for Villa, Bournemouth, Watford and West Ham and missed opportunities by Chelsea, Leicester and United. Well, despite results on the pitch, it's a matter off the pitch which we have to start with this week. After on Monday morning, the Court of Arbitration for Sport announced their decision following the appeal from Manchester City after UEFA charged them with serious breaches of financial fair play back in February. So um, UEFA themselves haven't said much, but um, the comment that we got from Cass in this statement when they announced what the reward of the court said that the breaches were not established or they were time barred. So... City have uh, gotten away with this one. It's been a success, like Guardiola had been suggesting. But um, it's been a lot of talk about what this means from a City perspective. We're going to discuss that in a minute. But first, Dylan, you're a United fan. You're in a team that were fighting potentially for the top four, but were hoping for the potential for that fifth place to maybe get them in as a cushion. What do you think about the fact that City will be in the Champions League? And also, what does this look like for football, especially given United were reportedly one of several teams in the Premier League to write to several balls to try and get City banned from the Champions League? Well, um, of course, from a United perspective, it's not not nice seeing uh, your biggest rivals having success and uh, of course, uh, playing in the Champions League and uh, still in the Champions League uh, this season and, and been doing really well in the Champions League. Um, obviously, we're in the Europa League, so it's uh, quite quite hard to, to look from a United perspective. And from a United perspective, um, we were, before the restart, we were always hoping for City to um, to not get, um, to get that two-year ban because they're, uh, we were eight points off Leicester, five points off Chelsea, and it looked like we were going to be fifth. But obviously, since the restart happened, we've won, we've won, we've we've been unbeaten, drawn two games, and won four, and uh, we've been playing very well. So, um, from a United's perspective, I I believe that obviously there wasn't a right to ban you clearly because otherwise you wouldn't have uh, you wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been overturned. So. Um, now the race goes down to the top four for the Champions League and Leicester, Chelsea and United are all involved with uh, one point's difference. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, we've, uh, kept, we have we lost uh, our heads a bit and we drew two all with Southampton in the 96 minutes, which is very unfortunate. But top four is still in our hands as we still have to play Leicester. So from a United's perspective, I believe that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, uh, I'd be a lot, I'd be a lot worse off if they uh, we're still fifth by it by by a big margin, but since but mm. since we uh, have closed the gap between Leicester and Chelsea, I don't see anything wrong with it. Obviously, because it benefits us. Yeah, and um, 
Yeah, and I think the other thing is, although this is great for City, I think it's really important for City themselves, which we're going to talk about in a second. But I think this has really like added a bit of spice to this title, uh, to yeah, this top four battle. Has. Because to be honest, it was always looking like it was going to be Leicester, Chelsea, and United, given Wolves and Sheffield have dropped off. So to know that there's now going to be a bit of a battle these last couple of weeks to see which team's going to miss out, especially when be really um, Chelsea and Wolves play and. Uh... United and Leicester play on the last yeah, really uh, game exciting. of the season. That's going to be very, very exciting. Yeah, it really is. Now, um, we're gonna we don't know too much of the insides and outs about this case without speculating because um, the actual details of the reasoning behind uh, Cass's decision aren't going to be released for a few days. I'm sure we will discuss that when they are. But um, we're gonna now be joined by Ben, who is a uh, Manchester City supporter and a friend of ours. And um, well. What do you think this decision means for City themselves in terms of the remainder of this season, Ben? Is this something that will now inspire City to go and win the Champions League this season? Because, of course, we've got this big game against Real Madrid coming up. And then if we win that, potentially several knockout games and really quick succession in Portugal. Well, as you can imagine, as a Manchester City supporter, I'm absolutely thrilled about this. I'm sure you are too, Mm -hmm. Harry. When it comes to Manchester City's success, though, I'm not, necessarily, I'm not necessarily sure how it's going to affect it. I personally think that if the ban had gone ahead and City were banned for the next two years off, out of European competitions, it might have, you know, driven them a bit more to push themselves to actually win the Champions League. So this might maybe, you know, give, make them relax a little bit. I mean, hopefully it doesn't, but they could potentially relax a little bit and think, oh, you know, it's fine if we don't win, we're still, the next, we're still guaranteed to be in the, next, in the competition mm-hmm. in the next two years. So I'm not necessarily sure how it's going to really, if it, if it will push them or if it will make them relax a bit more. Yeah, I mean, the psychology around the decision is going to be really interesting from a player's impact. And um, although I'm sure there'll be time to discuss about UEFA, the financial fair play for its remainder of its lifetime, given the fact it's had yet another um, like dent in the road for that as a, for UEFA as an organisation and financial fair play is this controversial rule. But sticking with City, um, it's interesting for me because, of course, if we were banned, I'd be very worried about potential transfer targets coming, considering the need to strengthen in several key areas with reportedly quite big big money, big name signings this summer. So would you not think that's something that's going to really help City, knowing that they're in the Champions League next season when it comes to going to the market this summer? Oh, yeah, well, 100%. There were talks of, you know, big name players like Raheem Sterling and Kevin De Bruyne, Although you know, they said themselves they weren't going to leave, there were talks of them, you know, potentially leaving because they want Champions League football, which is very understandable. However, now that this ban has been overturned, you've got now news of players like Aguero potentially extending their contract by mm-hmm. a year. Players like De Bruyne thinking mm-hmm. of signing a new contract to 2023. And also huge name players like uh, Kaladu Koulibaly, Hassan Awa, reportedly going to sign for City this summer. Yeah, and so I, I think... think yeah, no, you're right, because I, I was extremely worried here, because if you look at where certain star players at City currently are in their careers, if City got a two-year ban, it would have been difficult to blame the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, age 29, for wanting to leave Manchester City. Other players who are at that stage in their career leaving, like Aguero, with only a couple of years left in his career. So it's really important from that perspective, I think, this this um like the ban being overturned i also think in the sector of pep Guardiola, this is really important he's going to his last year of his manchester city contract um well he's already in it because the way the season's gone but next season do you think this could uh, make city go for an added approach and try and get him tied down to another long-term contract oh well definitely i mean i i know for sure that if this ban had gone ahead 
this would 100% be the end of Pep Guardiola's career at Manchester City. But now that this ban has been overturned, I reckon, you know, potentially we could see him sign maybe another another two, three-year contract for us. Yeah, you'd really hope that. What would you say to that, Dylan? Do you want to see Pep Guardiola in the Premier League for longer? Because I know you're a United fan, and of course it's annoying to have the quality um, on the other side of Manchester. <laughs> but it's got to be good for the Premier League having a manager of his calibre. Well, obviously, he's a, a phenomenal manager. He's done it everywhere. He's implemented his style of play in, in the likes of uh, Barcelona, Bayern Munich and now City, which um, which when he came, people have doubts over it, whether his style of play would uh, work and be suitable for the Premier League. And uh, he's obviously shown with it, with the quality of your team and the quality of how you play that uh, it has worked. So obviously, if uh, Pep uh, leaves, it'll be a huge loss to the Premier League. Although, saying this at United fan, it wouldn't be a loss for me because, uh, you know, we could... Uh, uh, get uh, close the gap between uh, our team's quality and the, where we finish. So, um, obviously, a huge loss for the Premier League if Pep left. But from a United perspective, I'd be delighted, uh, even though with Pep, uh, I have a lot of respect for him and uh, I, I really like him as a manager. Yeah, no, but I'll tell you to get that. Now, we've mentioned uh, Koulibaly uh, before, Ben. Um do you think he will sign? Who would you wait? Who do you think City need to sign this summer? Of course, it's going to be a centre back seems key, but they're being linked with two Italian um, defenders. Um, they're being linked with a midfielder, potentially a new winger to replace Sane, as well as maybe even a striker. Where do you see City's key areas of strengthening this summer to close that gap on Liverpool? Well, in my opinion, I think there's three main areas we need to focus on. Obviously, the main one is definitely a new centre-half to pair up with Laporte. Obviously, you know, Laporte, we saw him injured for most of the season this season, which, in my opinion, really, really hurts us. Yeah, um, definitely. I think. So, a big name like Koulibaly, like Milan Skriniar, we've also been in Ruben Diaz from Benfica, Dan Axel Zagadou from Borussia Dortmund, a big name mm. centre-back with huge potential could really, really strengthen our team. Um, another area, I think, is a new left-back Angelino looks like he's making a permanent move to RB Leipzig after his brilliant performances in the second half of the season for them. Yeah. Um, and despite Mendy showing some recent good form for us, I still don't think he's consistent enough. And Zinchenko, don't think he's consistent enough. Not a left-back. That's my problem with Zinchenko. I think everyone's seen him at City as a left-back and gone, well, he's not good yeah. enough. And personally, he is well, we, we signed him as a centre-mid, didn't we? He was yeah. signed as a centre-mid. He plays in the midfield for Ukraine. plays in the attacking midfield for Ukraine. So I think before we decide what happens with Zinchenko, he needs a good run in the team in the midfield to see whether he's someone we ship out for a new left-back or we keep him. But the argument about Mendy, I think this is a really important few weeks for him. I think he's fighting to remain in this team, in this squad. If he has a good few weeks, City win the FA Cup and win the Champions League, he stays. If he's at fault for mistakes in the FA Cup and the Champions League, then I suspect that's the end of his City's career, sadly. Because I do really like Mendy, actually. Um, you've mentioned yeah. those two defence areas. Do you think City will look to replace anywhere in attack, despite the quality? I definitely think we're going to look for a replacement for Lee Rossano, despite us still having, you know, a lot of good wingers. You know, we see Raheem Sterling playing there, Riyad Mahrez, who I think has been a class, has been class this season, Bernardo definitely. Silva, who mm. hasn't had a great season, but he's still a great player. And even Phil Foden, who we saw, I think, in the Carabao Cup mm. final played as a right winger. He can play yeah. up there. But I think just to add the extra of squad depth, I think we could look for a replacement for Lee Rossano. There's... Many people we've been looking at, you know, been looking at Kingsley Coman, Leon Bailey, um, 
Mikel Oyazabal, mm-hmm. um, and also Ferran Torres, who is looking very close to yeah, signing for and us. I think it's interesting the one about Torres because this is a player who would be a squad player. He's young and therefore he's someone we can build up to be the winger when the likes of Mares, especially because he's a bit older, are starting to deteriorate because he can play on both sides. So I think that's definitely going to be a really interesting area. And the last thing to ask you about is the striker, of course, because um, Gabriel Jesus, is no, there's no denying he isn't Sergio Aguero. I think he's been good. Is he good enough for Manchester City as a striker? I think this will be a debate we have, particularly this summer. But are you thinking sign an attacker or sign a top forward or keep with Jesus and Aguero? Well, obviously, Aguero, like I said before, is coming to the end of his career with City, which is obviously so upset. And, and Jesus, he, he's a good player. You know, he's got a lot of goal involvements this season. I do think that he is, you know, he's discredited a lot. Mm. However, I don't think he could be, you know, I don't think we can really trust him in um, to be that striker that we need, like Aguero, who can play consistently, yeah. score yeah. goals through consistently. I do think that, Potentially, we do need a big name signing at the strike position for us. Yeah, I agree. And I'm not sure who, if you've got anyone, I, I've always said, I'm not going to go into this bit now, but I've always said Harry Kane is the ideal replacement for uh, Sergio oh, yeah. Aguero. Yeah, definitely. But um, I think you're right. I think it's, it's a role that he won't be able to uh, fulfil Jesus when Aguero does eventually leave. Um, Dylan, what do you think about those potential transfer targets in Manchester City? Um, well, obviously... Um... They're very good signings if they're, they're and one of uh, if they do go ahead. Sorry, um, but the Champions League obviously has a huge uh, effect, and now you are able to play in the Champions League. Uh, I see uh, two or three of them coming, and obviously there's no doubts uh, that you need a centre back. That's probably your main priority, and as well as a left back because your defence has looked quite quite bad. <laughs> let's just say, uh, let's just say this season with. Uh, Nine defeats and many from United fans. Uh, well, sorry. <laughs> 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 well, I'm just saying from an outsider's point of no, perspective. Yeah. With yeah. nine defeats and, and many um and many uh, mis- mistakes from um, mm. from your defenders. No, completely. So, yeah, especially considering yeah. it's Fernandinho who's been playing in that centre back role, which says exactly. a lot about the likes of Jen- John Stones and Nicolas Otamendi. I think so. Yeah, 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 you are correct because so many of City's defeats this season have really been of their own making. Personally, I don't think there's many yeah. times where we've seen City and gone, ah, uh, they were beaten by the better team today. They were beaten because of mistakes within themselves. But um, yeah, really interesting that uh, Ben. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, uh, thanks, Ben. And well, uh, there's going to be a lot more talk about um, a discussion about the actual ins and outs of this case between Manchester City and UEFA at CAS, and also, of course, ahead of this big Champions League World Cup style tournament in Portugal in August. And of course, as we go into the summer transfer window, with the dates for that expected to be announced and agreed in the next few days. Um, so yeah, it should be a really exciting summer, shouldn't it? Hundred percent. It'll definitely. be a, most definitely be quite an interesting one and quite a different one to uh, previous summers because of the way uh, COVID hit us. So um, it's definitely one to look out for because will uh, will um, clubs be signing less players or uh, have a, a lesser budget? Yes. Yeah, so it'll be quite interesting how it plays out. After United conceded late on against Southampton on Monday night, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's side failed to take advantage of losses suffered by both Chelsea and Leicester 
and blowing the chance to move up to third in the table. They did. So before we get on to those rivals' defeats, what happened to United last night, do you think? I just think we were very tired. Our key performers, Bruno and Pogba, didn't have the best games. Probably their worst games uh, since their uh, PL restart. And um, I just think the defence uh, was, was too... Uh, was was just not good at all. Um, uh, gave away a lot of the ball. Um, made a few mistakes that did lead to goals. For example, Pogba turning his back, getting tackled by Ings. Maguire uh, going towards the ball instead of uh, marking the player. Armstrong who scored the goal. And then in the in the, when we conceded in the last minute, disaster, absolute disaster that was. Uh, when Maguire was marking Wambasaka and uh, <laughs> and uh, Bednarek got a, few, a free header to flick on, and Obafemi was goal side of Lindelof, which is another stupid error, and it uh, was just there to tap it home. So, uh, absolutely woeful defending, and that's probably why uh, uh, we uh, drew the game. And also, um, um, chances that we, we couldn't finish, for example, uh, Rashford uh, yeah. uh, had a chance to seal the game off. Um, Martial also looked quite um, greedy in front of goal when uh, he shot when uh, there were better options to pass than uh, to slide teammates through. Mm. So, I just think it was quite all round. It was, it was our worst performance since uh, PL restart. Yeah, it wasn't uh, great. It's quite it's quite hard to see considering we were going, <laughs> we were going to third, um, and in the night in the ninety sixth minute we conceded mm. and we're back down to fifth. Yeah, so exactly. it's, it's really disheartening to see. It is, and you know, from a neutral watching the game, Southampton have turned up once again against the big side and got a result when they've got nothing to play for. So that's a really good thing, and it just adds to the work done by uh, Ralph Hasselhutel at Southampton since that 9-0 defeat to Leicester last year. Absolutely. But um, I think the game yesterday, I think we're going to talk about Woeful defending a lot, because we're going to be discussing Chelsea and Leicester in a minute, who also had some catastrophic pieces of work at the back <laughs> this weekend. It's not been a, it's not been a great weekend. And well, it's like we don't want top four. None of them want top exactly. four. Exactly. I mean, terrible. you should all be grateful you all drop points at the same time, really. But I think yesterday it was... Things just didn't click into place that they had for United recently. The attack looks great suddenly. They, I think the attack sorted. They've still got issues defensively, which I'm sure will be solved in time. But it just didn't work. There were too many errors in too many different places yesterday for United, which ultimately meant that Obafemi could score in the last minute, Pogba's mistake. So I think it's one where it's really important. United, like Leicester and Chelsea, can brush themselves down get it out of their system and go again. Because the last thing you want is a hangover from poor defeats when you've got so many games coming in such a quick succession. Especially with United's game on Thursday night, knowing that they've then got a really big FA Cup semi-final against one of those rivals on Sunday. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, completely agree. Um, Obviously, we've we've talked about the woeful defending. We've talked about um, mistakes at the back. We've talked about um, Southampton coming... uh, Again, and playing against a big side um, and, and and getting a point or or getting all three. So um, Southampton, you can't discredit them. Obviously, they uh, they were the better team. They uh, pressed us, which um, they did which, over fifty uh, percent possession. Uh, Old Trafford. Yeah, yeah, and possession, um, which led to these mistakes. And uh, ultimately, we weren't good enough. And it's it's just such a shame to see, considering that we were third for seventy five minutes of the game after Martial scored it to make it two one. And then just letting it go like that in the last minute. It's just so typical of United, considering how well we've done. It's just such a shame to see. Do you think we've been fooled by United in recent weeks, considering that they've had really big wins against 
sides that are really struggling and the minute they come up against a half decent mid table side they've drawn again um to be honest i don't think so because we've we've played the best football we've uh, played since uh, since uh, the Fergie era in my opinion um we've got a really good midfield with bruno and pogba obviously uh, with the chance creations obviously a, um really really good since um since uh, bruno's arrival and uh, we've got a really good front three with Russia, Greenwood and Martial. And special mention to Greenwood for how uh, un- un- since uh, the restart with um, just whenever whenever Greenwood gets into a dangerous position, I just have that feeling that he's going to score. He does it's really just, dangerous. He's just, he's just that he's just that good uh, finishing wise. Um, yeah. But. Yeah, 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 no, he is, and I think that I think when we come to discussing and reviewing the season in a few weeks, Greenwood's going to be up there. With we're going to be discussing him and Phil Foden for a very long time, just because of how yeah, good they've been. Be. But every time Greenwood's on the ball, you, you you think he's going to do something. You score a goal, find the pass. So, really excellent from him. Um, speaking of strikers, uh, Jamie Vardy is of course on course to win the Golden Boots again. Um, he's on 23 goals, leading the way. But other than that, he's the only bright light for Leicester at the moment after they've been really poor since the restart and they look certain to be getting a Champions League spot before then. Having, But they've just dropped, potentially dropping out of the top four for the first time since September in a couple of weeks. Um, what's gone wrong there? Because that was three minutes at Bournemouth on Saturday that have potentially destroyed their season. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I don't know what's uh, what's gone on with Leicester. They, they looked... Absolutely phenomenal from uh, August to January, and the 2020 form is uh, is is catastrophic. Uh, three wins in 2020 just sums it all. Really, it sums it all up, really. And do you know what else sums it all up? Since uh, they beat Southampton nine 0 away from home, Southampton have won more points than them, which yeah. is is absolutely incredible to see. Uh, it just shows how uh, how uh, rocky uh, the road's been for Leicester, and I I won't be surprised if they. Uh, narrowly uh, miss out on Champions League considering they've still got United to play on the last uh, game mm. of the season. So, to be honest, I don't know what's gone wrong with them. They look like a really solid side. Um, uh, they've got the leading uh, top goal scorer with Jamie Vardy, who's been really pro- uh, prolific uh, this campaign. They had uh, James Madison uh, providing a lot of assists, but that's gone quiet now since 2020. And... Um, they just had a really. It looked like they had a really strong defense, and they kept a lot of clean sheets. But since the turn of uh, probably about February time, it's all just gone out, it has. gone out the window. No, and I, I, I honestly can't. I can't put my point my finger on it where it's gone wrong. It's just all of a sudden collapsed, and uh, it's uh, it's it's quite hard to watch if you're a Leicester. Yeah, fan. and it's and, not uh, the first time Brendan Rodgers has been doing really, really well and had problems towards the end of a uh, end of a season with a Premier League side. But I think those <laughs> three we know minute, about that. <laughs> yeah, and um, those there was a three minute period in which the game was turned on its head um, against Bournemouth, and that three minute period came to be like the bubbling up of stuff that had been going on under the surface for weeks and it just all happened in one minute. You had the defensive error from Schmeichel who is usually so reliable. You then yeah. had more defence errors. You then had um, you giving away the, the penalty. Sender. You then had Soyuncu losing his head and that could be really yeah, catastrophic for Leicester's season. He did one stupid Absolutely. thing that was not necessary. He's now, I think it's a three-match ban for violent conduct so he potentially yeah. will ro- Rodgers be a bit more because he, kick, he kicked the player. 
Yeah, I mean, he kicked out completely unacceptable and so unnecessary. So I think that's a three-minute period. And incredibly, when you look at... We always talk about the marathon that is a Premier League season. But three minutes could very much defy Leicester City's season in the Premier League. It's probably going to undermine what has actually been quite a successful campaign for them, if you think about it. Of course, they got to the semi-finals in the League Cup, um, not knocked out the quarter-finals in the FA Cup. They've been quite good. They've they've been uh, they've been phenomenal uh, for the uh, for the most part. Um, they were second at one point, uh, mm. five points behind Liverpool in uh, in November time. So uh, it just shows that they've uh, they've they've come a long way. They've come a long way of uh, dropping off, and it's 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 sad to see because um, Leicester have always been a. Uh, they, they've they've uh, played very good football, and I don't know what's gone wrong. I can't put my finger on it, other than potentially Ndidi's injury, because obviously he needed that defensive mid mid cover. But ever since Ndidi's returned, they've uh, they've also gone wrong. So mm. I don't know. Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> I don't know what's happened. And talking of going wrong, there is one other side left in this uh, race for a top four place, and that is uh, Frank Lampard's Chelsea, Chelsea, where things have also suddenly started to go a bit wrong with um, them starting to look like they've derailed a bit. With a uh, re- When you lose, it's sometimes a defeat, sometimes it's a bad defeat, but that defeat to Sheffield was a really bad defeat, wasn't it? Very bad. It just looked like they were being completely outplayed by Sheffield United. Like, they just, it just looked like they couldn't string together five passes before uh, giving it back to Sheffield or, or, or Sheffield tackling them. It just looked, it just looked completely so disjointed. Out of it. it was so disjointed. Yeah. It was so poor. It wasn't something. And whenever looked... they made passes, it was just backwards and sideways. They just couldn't attack them yeah, properly. Everything it was, it was went quite wrong. Interesting to see. Everything went wrong that game. And yeah. Chris Wilder completely uh, had a game plan to really on wrestled them really proper. Yeah, proper outplayed them, and uh, they just um, soaked up all the pressure, uh, pressed them a lot, and uh, and took advantage of their mistakes. Which, yeah, I think uh, a lot of credit does have to see. Yeah, a lot yeah. of the credit has to go to uh, what Wilder did and when Sheffield set up because they were so dominant and so clinical in front of goal, and it was great that the likes of McGorge got their first goal finally. But Chelsea. Yeah. This is a period where they've got the one point. They've got the that one point, that potentially crucial one point. But when they're going around playing like that, you're hopeless. You you'd think they're hopeless to even stand a chance if they got in the Premier League, if they got into the Champions League. Sorry, um, if they're capable of performances like that, they don't stand a chance at making it out of the group stages. No, you you wouldn't think so. Um, but. They've uh, they've recently been signing uh, quite a few transfers with uh, the likes of Werner, uh, Ziyech, and uh, mm-hmm. potentially Kai Havertz, and a, and, a, and there's been talk of them uh, getting a, a new centre back, uh, Ubekamo, for example, and um, a few other name uh, name centre backs. Um, but if they sign these signings, um, I believe that they uh, they will develop into a really top team because they do have a good midfield. To be fair to them. They do have a good uh, foundations of attack. They just need one or two uh, um, changes to, to to ensure that they've got a clinical perfect attack, and that's come with Werner and Ziyech. Mm-hmm. But they just they've got a terrible defence that also uh, is very mistake prone. So which uh, Frank Lampard does rotate a lot, showing that he doesn't have faith. He doesn't have a a, um, a strong centre back part- partnership yet with the one year he's been in charge. So they definitely do need a centre back out of out of all their. Um, the positions, so uh, that's 
that's uh, that's what I think on Chelsea. Yeah, and I think the other thing with the way Chelsea are is they are lacking that quality player, like you say. Of course, they're bringing in some good players, and I think that's the di- big difference between a good side and a very good side because a very good side like Liverpool aren't capable of, even though they lost the City a few week- a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, a very smash. good side aren't capable of playing really well, but then having one really really bad performance every so often because it's the consistency that has lacked for Chelsea this season. That's probably partly down to the fact Frank Lampard hasn't been able to sign anyone. So. I think quality is going to be really important this summer for them if he is to build a big side because we know what Chelsea are like with managers and if he can't turn it around there, as disappointing it is, and although he's a Chelsea legend, you do have to worry for his job if they're going to keep putting in five good performances and go one, uh, two steps forward, one step back every every few weeks with a disappointing defeat or draw. Yeah, completely. Um, they've definitely shown quality. Um, they've definitely shown that they can produce some good results with the... Uh, the, the win at, uh, against City uh, to hand uh, Liverpool mm. the, the, the Premier League title, unfortunately. And they, they, they have put in some uh, tremendous performances over over the campaign, uh, to be fair to Frank Lampard. But then they've just put in some diabolical performances. For example, the 3-0 loss at Sheffield, losing at, at Bournemouth 2-1, mm. um, uh, overturning a 1-0 lead and, uh, and losing yeah. it completely in the 80th minute onwards. So um, it just shows that they lack that uh, consistency. And that is shown through the centre-back pairing. Like He changes up every one or two games. It shows that, that it, which I think um, leads to the inconsistencies because you've got to be consistent with uh, your, your, your team. Mm-hmm. Like Liverpool. Uh, yeah, because that, that's, how, that's how you win games because the team are, are in sync. And if you keep change, changing every few, day, uh, few games, especially a, a really important... Uh, partnership uh, in the sense back partnership uh, then you you will lack that consistency does he drop Kepper I mean we've got to be quick but do you think Kepper has shown that he isn't good enough for Chelsea there's talk that they might be bringing in another goalkeeper instead of him but they paid big money for uh, Kepper Risa Balaga and million. he yeah. isn't good enough personally he was really poor again against Sheffield. I think he, he didn't make any attempt for one of the goals and he probably could have done even though he looked a bit wrong-footed. So do you think he drops yeah. Kepa for the remainder of these games and brings in Caballero, who is known to be a good goalkeeper? Well, he's uh, he's already dropped Kepa this season um, for Caballero for a few games back in back in January, February when Kepa was, was proper ro- woeful and uh, was probably in the worst form of uh, his Chelsea career. But I don't see why uh, he would drop Kepa for Caballero because I do think Kepa has a has has been a okay since the restart. I say okay, but he's 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 had a few errors, but he has come on come out with the the one or two crucial saves. But he just he, I don't think he lacks the the quality uh, at all for Chelsea, and they should look to sign another goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Whether that's uh, there's been talk of. Um, of, of Nick Pope going to Chelsea or Dean Henderson. Yeah. They, they look to be signing a, but I don't think we'll let, we'll let Dean Henderson go because he looks to be our, our first choice keeper. For the future, indeed. And I don't, um, I, and I don't know where the, whether the sources are, are reliable. I've just seen a lot of speculation mm-hmm. occurring. So. Yeah, no. And well, um, let's just ask you, um, how do you see this top four battle finishing? Who is your, just say, United, Chelsea or Leicester, which two teams uh, make the top four? United and Chelsea. 
Yeah, I've got to agree. I think it is United and Chelsea. I think Leicester are going to really struggle, we'll especially without Soyuncu, and it'll especially probably with be their their doubtful, fixtures. especially with their fixtures as well. Um, so, yeah, it'll be really interesting, but I'm glad we've both agreed. It'll be interesting to see in a couple of weeks which two teams do uh, take up those final two spaces in the Champions League. The battle for a Champions League spot isn't the only internal race taking place, with the race for survival really hotting up. It is. After wins at the weekend for Villa, Bournemouth, West Ham and Watford, it's very much who dares wins with a mistake by any side likely to be fatal in terms of their hopes of staying up. We've mentioned Leicester, but how good were Eddie Howe's side in the second half on Sunday night? Well, we've uh, we've talked about how uh, Leicester have obviously uh, derailed and their second half was a calamity. But you've got to give credit to Bournemouth. They uh, they they took advantage of Leicester's mistakes. They um, they were clinical in front of goal, and they could have been two two or three 0 down at halftime. So it just shows the uh, the enthusiasm and they have the right mentality and belief to to get a result and to to win four one is a is an absolute is amazing or do wonders for their confidence uh, in the next three games in the hope that they can survive relegation. Yeah, because they weren't even scoring. And here they are, they've gone and scored four games against one of the sides right at the top of the table. Um, and you've spoken about how good it'll be for their confidence. It'd be great for some players' confidence, like Solanke in particular. Let's be honest, he's had a really poor season. Um, they paid big money for him, Liverpool. And now here he is getting goals um, a big time for them, given how important goals are going to be if they're going to stay up. Oh, yeah, 100%. So, uh, Solanke... Um... Has 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 hit. Uh, has not done well this season. He's uh, not scored any Premier League Premier League goals until scoring two um, against Leicester on on Sunday. So uh, it'll it'll do well for uh, his confidence because strikers they um, they their form is off goals and uh, once they score a goal they could get into their stride um, and 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 start scoring and and and, and oozing with confidence. So uh, it, it's uh, it's nice to see Solanke finally scoring his first Premier League goal. And um, it may uh, it may be huge for their title, uh, uh, sorry, title um, for their survival hopes. <laughs> yeah, no, and um, so they they, they are still in eighteenth uh, place. They are still in that last relegation place. They're three points adrift of West Ham and Watford. Who we're going to discuss in a minute, but um, things don't get any easier for Eddie outside. They uh, got a good nil nil draw against Spurs. Um, they, of course, beat Leicester, but now they're going against a really informed Manchester City side who haven't lost at the Etihad since December, right at the beginning of December against United. And they've also scored five goals uh, five goals in the last two games and keep absolutely battering teams at the Etihad since lockdown. So you've got to worry for them on Wednesday night. I'm, I'm, I'm very worried for them. Uh, they've got a really hard fixture away to City. But I do think there might be some hope with... Uh, with uh, obviously we've seen Pep's rotation and uh, a huge game for City on on Sunday against Arsenal may uh, may result in uh, resting a few players, for example uh, Kevin De Bruyne, Laporte, Sterling. So it won't it won't be a it won't it will still be very hard for them, but it won't be as hard if the if the key players are rested. So they must be surely be hoping that Pep uh, does rotate his squad so they can take advantage of the rotation and 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 
hope for a smash and grab like Southampton. Yeah, but on the flip side to that, if City are, I suspect City will make change and it will be weaker, but the players playing on Wednesday night will be wanting to stake a claim to start in that huge FA Cup semi-final for Manchester City on Saturday. So it's going to work both ways. Yeah, that's but another think, psychology. It is, but I think it's going to be really important they don't get thrashed because we've seen Burnley go get thrashed at the Etihad, Newcastle get thrashed, Liverpool even get thrashed at the Etihad recently. Um, but goal difference could have a really big big say in this relegation battle because you've got these three points within it then you've got Bournemouth they're on minus 24 Watford minus 21 West Ham minus 15 Villa minus 27 it's very very tight and a matter of losing one or two nil compared to losing five or six nil could actually be massive for any house side so even if they do lose the way they lose is going to be really important I think when they play City yep completely you just got to Soak up all the pressure against City. Don't allow them to cross because that's their, that's what they like to do. And uh, just just hold hold your nerve. Uh, and and once you score one, just don't don't let your defence open and don't try and attack because it's important for goal. It's definitely important in a survival survival race for goal difference. So uh, if if you do, is make sure you don't get thrashed. That's 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 my best advice to Bournemouth. Yeah, that's the motto. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah, the that's tactics. The There's your team. Then yeah. go do any house team talk for him on Wednesday night. Um, <laughs> I'd hoped. I don't want to. <laughs> um, another team in and around there is Villa. Villa beat Palace two uh, 0 Even though there's questions whether that really should be a nil to Palace, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, Villa are in trouble. They're four points adrift. Um, I don't really. I personally, I don't see them getting out of this now. I think. They've left it too it's too little too late, basically. And I think the form of West Ham and Watford, even though they play each other on Friday night, I just don't see a way out for Villa, sadly. Yes, yeah, it's, it's sad to see. I, I, I think I've always said that uh, they're going to be one of the clubs to go down. I just don't think they've uh, they've been quite unfortunate uh, with um, with uh, injuries, for example, up front and uh, to key men like McGinn. But um, I do I do feel for Villa because they. Uh, they came up. They had a phenomenal uh, second half of their championship season, and they, they they belong in the Premier League as one of the big clubs because they're they 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 have the they're a club that's run on the foundation foundation in history. So, yeah, uh, so it's really sad to see them get relegated again. But when they get relegated, it it means that their key men will uh, will leave. For example, Grealish and talks with United. What do you Tottenham, think? This is the end of Arsenal. Grealish. We've seen him come up, come down with Villa, a bit of a yo-yo yeah, see, because Villa are a bit of a yo-yo if, club. You'd think yeah. this is very much it for Jack Grealish in his career. If if Villa go down, that's it for Grealish. He's he's gone to Arsenal, um, Tottenham, or United. Yeah, because they're the three that are, are linked with him. He, mm-hmm. He's gone. He, he can't. He's he's a he's a player hitting his. Uh, his prime years, you can't. He, he, he wouldn't want to play one year in the championship, regardless think, whether he supports Villa or, or not. Yeah, and I think the big thing about that is the Euros. Let's be honest, this is a player who will want to stake a claim to be in Gareth Southgate's side. And the chances of him going, if he's playing for Villa in the championship, seem ridiculously slim for me. I think for the sake of his career, if Villa do go down, he's going to have to go. But even if Villa do manage to miraculously survive, I think he's really going to have to evaluate and maybe put. Um, his own opinion of Villa away and put his career first. And speaking of putting career first, uh, David Moyes back at West Ham. Is he about to pull off the great escape once again? <laughs> could could well be. Uh, could do. Um, they, they've hit some fine form. Uh, yeah, 4-0 uh, at the weekend. Ago. Yeah, 4-0 with an Antonio Masterclass. 
Absolutely unreal. But then again, you're playing against uh, Norwich, who uh, after the first goal goes in, they're down and their mentality is completely gone. They're, they've completely lost it and they've given up after after the Antonio scored his first goal. But you've got to give credit to West Ham. They've uh, they found some uh, fine form now. Um, obviously, uh, with the acquisition of uh, Jared Bowen, who's, who's done phenomenal. Excellent person. Um, I think yeah. he's been excellent. Yeah, he has been. Antonio firing the goals. Um Declan Rice being really good, and also Thomas Suchek, who uh, yes. who they've got a loan in, um, is 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 always uh, taking shots, considering he's in centre mid and uh, keep appearing, scoring yeah. a lot of goals. Uh, yeah, he mm-hmm. seems to be appearing, uh, scoring the goals as well. Yeah, no, so, definitely. Mm. Yeah, they look to be finding their feet and uh, getting rejuvenated again. But I did think they were going uh, down, but they uh, clearly have turned it around. Yeah, I mean they have been really good. Of course, they've still got the the. It's one game that they're within potentially dropping out, especially if Bournemouth were to get a result against um, City and then they lose to Watford. Watford, who are level on points with West Ham, another manager doing exceptionally well who is known to do well with clubs fighting uh, for survival, Nigel Pearson. He's been excellent. Watford, a bit here and there, really. Didn't really get quite the momentum they would have wanted from that win against Liverpool um, back before lockdown. But... You do worry for them because although they're good and they've got some great players, so I think we'll see them through, their defence is a problem, especially with the games coming up for them. Yeah, completely. They've uh, Their defence is, is, is a huge uh, weakness towards them. They've got they've got the firepower up front with uh, Dini, Welbeck finding his feet, uh, Ismail Assar, you've got uh, Roberto Pereira, um, Capu, um, to name a few. Um, so, so it shows that they've got, they've got Good quality uh, up front. It's just that the defense has been really hit and miss, and uh, they've, um, they've 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 not done well in that aspect. Mm. And that's why one of the reasons why they're they're fighting in the relegation battle. Otherwise, they'd probably be uh, a lot further up the table if they if they were conceded a lot less because the goals haven't been a problem uh, to to them. Surprisingly, uh, they haven't. No, it, no, and it, and it's been shown in in this season. So um, they definitely need it if they stay up. Um, to, to make sure that they um they're not in a relegation battle next season um a few defenders um a few a few good quality de- defenders uh, to be signed yeah and well uh, we've just spoken about West Ham Watford they go head to head in a really really they big do. game on a Friday night and um it's going to be I think this is pivotal you know I think both teams will take a draw of course depending on results elsewhere but if one side wins it's a huge boost for them but then it's real pressure time for whoever the losing side are. Um, if you look at it, West Ham beat Watford 3-1 back in August. So West Ham have actually got a really good for, um, well fixture and path in this fixture. They won 3-1 in August, then won 4-1 the season before. So do you worry for Watford given that form and recent results yeah. when going against the two sides? Yeah, I do I do worry for them, but I don't I don't think you can go off past uh, past results and past games. Because it's completely different um, environment this game, as where where it's to the point where they they're both in a relegation battle, they're both fighting out. Where in August you, you don't, you, no one's in a relegation battle, mm. so yeah. it's it's completely different circumstances. So they'll, they'll both be giving it their all. They'll both be fighting out, and uh, the one who wins is essentially um, safe. Safe. The one yeah. who loses is. In a, in a relegation, it's in a proper battle for the last two games with Villa and Bournemouth. 
So it, it'll be very, very intriguing to see how it all plays out. And I think one of the unlucky things about this is this is a game at home to West Ham would have been at a packed out London stadium. But this is, of course, an empty, yeah. this is an empty stadium. This is football without fans at the moment. That's going to really affect the game because we've seen the differences in the home advantage disappear, almost disintegrating in air games here in the Premier League since the restart. Do you think that's going to really affect West Ham or do you think, reckon they'll have the adrenaline rush from the importance to see them through? I'm not quite sure, you know. I'm saying this because they haven't actually had a good form at the uh, the Olympic Stadium at all, even with fans. So I'm, I'm quite unconvinced with, uh, by that. I think mm. Watford, they have done a okay away from home as well. And um, I reckon home advantage just completely gets wiped out here if they're both fighting for relegation even more so without fans so um it's like they're playing on neutral ground there pretty much so um so that that's what i think on um on, on that uh, that point what what do you reckon yeah, I think it's really difficult, but I think the entire burden of the London Stadium is going to be a big thing for West Ham, particularly if they go down, given how much money they've invested in that stadium. So it's very worrying what could happen to West Ham if they were to go down. But just thinking of Watford, one player I'm going to talk about here, we spoke about the attack, Ben Foster, because he goes under the radar season in, season out. He really is a top-class goalkeeper and he's been really important to Watford this season. He's made 108 saves. Yeah, he's done really well, Ben Foster. He's someone that definitely does go under the radar because uh, because of the uh, the terrible uh, defense and the amount of goals they can see. But he's he's he, countless times he's uh, he's saving them from uh, from danger and with his uh, with crucial saves. Yes, he's made the odd one or two mistakes, but don't mm. all keepers. Um, exactly. He's he's definitely uh, he's definitely been uh, one of their standout players this season, and he, he unfortunately has gone under the radar and. Uh, not many people have noticed, uh, and and to be honest, I don't know why because uh, he, he he has um, saved Watford countless times from uh, from further from further embarrassment and yeah. uh, and points lost. I mean, he's kept nine clean sheets, which um, is quite a lot for a team that have found themselves down in the where they are considering the Golden Glove um, nominees, Nick Pope, Edison, have only kept 14. So he isn't that far away from that. So it's um, credit to him how good he has been and what sort of situation Watford could be in if they didn't have him between the sticks, personally. But um, let's ask you, we'll start with West Ham Watford. What do you, how do you see that game going on Friday night? I think it'll be a one-all draw, if I'm going to be honest. There'll be too much to lose for both teams to... For, for one of them to win. So it, I definitely see a draw playing out. What about you? I mean, I was going to sit on the fence and go with a 2 or draw, but um, I'm actually going to go with a 2-1 West Ham win. Very yeah, I think West Ham might edge it. I think, I, think, I think both will stay up. I think West Ham and Watford will stay up. Bournemouth and Villa will go down. How do you see uh, the table finishing in a couple of weeks' time? Um, obviously, we know Norwich are relegated. Uh, that goes without question. Uh, it's mathematically impossible for them to survive now. <laughs> has been for a couple so, of weeks. Uh, yeah, it has been since uh, the well, it has been since the West since Ham, this weekend. Uh, but you've known yeah. they've been going down. Yeah, for a couple yeah, of weeks. yeah. Just... With their fixtures and yeah. how badly they played. Nineteenth, um, mm-hmm. I reckon. Uh, sad to see them go, but Bournemouth. They they've just got hard fixtures and. With the city game, and I just if they lose the city game, that that'll be them effectively uh, out of the of the the survival race. And mm-hmm. um, 18th, uh, 
Villa, unfortunately. Yeah, it's kind of how it is. It is disappointing, especially Bournemouth. I really yeah. like the way Eddie Howe plays, but I think if Bournemouth yeah. go down, it'll be the end of it him and his relationship at the club, which we sad to see. I think he will go on to bigger and better things because uh, he's a top-class manager, is Eddie Howe. Yeah, he is. And it's, it's, he's, uh, he's made sure Bournemouth, since uh, they, he's taken them from League 2 to pretty much a mid-table club as of the last few seasons. Obviously not now. They've, mm-hmm. they've been uh, very poor this campaign. And it's, re- it's really sad to see because um, he, he's done really well for the club. He's uh, essentially been like their manager for it all through uh, the the roughs of the league too to the uh, the excitement of the Premier League and, mm-hmm. and getting mid table finishes. So it's uh, it's um, certainly credit it's, to him. It's not nice to see. Yeah, it's a very yeah. it's huge credit towards Eddie Howe. But I reckon he'll leave or they'll they'll meet a mutual they'll mutually mutual agree. I think the to, big uh, Eddie Howe leaving. I think the bigger issue the bigger issue is if Bournemouth were to pull off a miraculous recovery, especially the Etihad, they would have needed Nathan Ake, who looks like he's me out for the rest of the season. So I think how yet to confirm that. Yeah. But um didn't look good against Leicester and you do worry with them because they've had so many injuries in key positions like the defense this season. What's gonna happen? But it's gonna be really interesting to see in the last couple of weeks how it all plays out in the uh, battle for survival. Sadly, that is it for this week's Talking Football podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed this week's episode and we'll be tuning in to our next one. Remember though, the football doesn't stop here. We're content all week across our Instagram and Twitter page at TFHDpod. You can contact us anytime on tfhdpodcast.yahoo.com. You've been listening to Talking Football with Harry and Dylan, hashtag TFHD, hashtag Playgrounds Podcast. Stay safe and thanks for listening.